So today, let's look at Matthew chapter 6. I want to discuss this idea of the future kingdom breaking into our reality. Jesus was the future breaking into the now. And he brings this future kingdom with him, which is the focal point of his ministry. And then he invites people to be a part of that future right here, right now which is where theologians get this concept of the already but not yet. That the kingdom has already broken in, but it has not yet been fully consummated. It has not yet been fully constructed, but it's already breaking in. And so I love this two circles overlapping visual concept. We talked about the Bible Project's video about heaven and earth overlapping and how when God's spirit resides in us, we become places of God's presence. We're like dwellings of heaven right here on earth. And there's this weird overlap tension because every place and everybody is not like that, but certain places and people are. And Jesus is the one that initiates and inaugurates this breaking in, this already, but not yet. So in Matthew chapter six, he breaks into our reality, heaven overlapping with earth. And there's this famous teaching here, often referred to as the Lord's Prayer, but it's probably more accurately called the Disciples' Prayer or the Prayer of the Kingdom. The Lord's Prayer is probably better represented in John 15, 16, and 17, right? This is the prayer for the disciples. This is the prayer for the kingdom of what kingdom living is like. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. How many of you have ever heard this prayer? How many of you have routinely said this prayer verbatim in your life? Whenever we do something a lot, we run the risk of losing the impact and meaning of what we're doing, right? That's why they say marriages, you know, really struggle around year seven. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's some formula there that like you do something a lot, kind of around the same person a lot. I don't know if seven's a magical number, but everybody I hear say is seven's the year, you know, like watch out. It was nine for you guys, right? My wife would say it was year one, but... That's her opinion, okay? That, I haven't reached that mark yet, honey. <clears throat> oh, I love this church. Jesus says that the kingdom comes, that the kingdom breaks into our lives when we surrender to the king. When we surrender to doing his will, on earth right now, just as his will is done in heaven. That's what it means to be in the kingdom. That's such a different and radical understanding and definition than it's the church or it's my salvation. The kingdom breaking in means that we surrender to a king that's not us or anyone else. And that surrender means that we do what he wants, just like what he wants is done in his domain in heaven. This is what Jesus is teaching here in the disciples' prayer. 
It means that God's reign breaks into the lives of those who choose to live for the will of God now on earth as it is in heaven. So just like we heard yesterday in our webinar with Ellen and Guy in the Strength and Weakness Ministry, it means that people submit their sexuality to their creator's design and intent. It means that they choose to do that. That makes no sense to the world, to those who live outside of the reign and rule of God. It makes no sense. It's the exact opposite message, right? You shouldn't have to, I couldn't help but hear the counter arguments when Guy was talking yesterday. He said, I have chosen for 34 years to deny my homosexual attractions because of Jesus. And I could hear, why would you deny your attractions? You're not being true to yourself. That is some sort of archaic, ancient, you know, manipulative way to coerce you to not experience the fullness of et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yet he and many other people today and all throughout Christendom and its history have submitted their sexuality, whether it be heterosexuality, whether it be homosexuality, whether it be bisexuality, transgender, queer, or any other sexual category that we have, we submit all of that to the king. Why? Because we believe that he designed sex. We believe that he knows how sexuality is supposed to work pre-us screwing it up, personally and metaphorically, right, in the garden story. That's what it looks like for the kingdom of God to break into our lives, that we would willingly choose to surrender, to wave a white flag and embrace something that might mean we have to deny ourselves. This is what it means to become a Christian. This isn't level 10 Christianity, as though there's nine other levels to choose from. This is what it means for the kingdom to break into our lives, for us to embrace the king. This is what it means to be in the kingdom. It doesn't mean to come to church. That's far too shallow. Jesus doesn't say that you can choose your difficulty level for the life in his kingdom like a video game or choose to surrender based on your level like a VR church. And it's easy to laugh at this, right? But I think it can be representative of how so many think about church and what it means to be in God's kingdom, to be under the reign and rule of king, that it's really about self. It's really about me and what I want. And then we couch it, of course, in spiritualized language, like, well, it doesn't meet my needs. It's not helping me grow spiritually or any other number of ways that ultimately reflect the truth, which is it's still about me. This is the opposite of the kingdom of God. And I'm concerned that maybe even some of us have that basic mentality. And we think it's funny when it's personified in such an extreme and obvious way like VR Church, but that's real. VR Church is real. I don't know if you knew that. How many of you knew that VR Church is real? VR Church is real. You can join a church service with people around the world right now by putting on a headset. And that's not to say that that's inherently bad. If those are your options, and that's why you're doing it, probably not so much the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about, but rather some other form of what I would call churchianity. 
And so here in our church family, we believe that God is calling us in the direction of microchurches for one reason, primarily to cut against this very thing, to try to counteract this dynamic that's so easy for all of us to fall into, and that is to consume. You may not get top quality singing in your microchurch. Did you know that? You might have come here this morning and gone, well, the music's not really that top notch. You know, that preacher dude, he, his jeans aren't skinny enough. <laughs> Somebody's going to get me skinny jeans for Christmas. I know it. Watch. You may not have the varieties of the styles of music that you prefer, but is that really why we're going to church? Is that what God's kingdom breaking into our lives is supposed to produce? You know, we've been looking at the church survey results as a leadership recently. And there's been some things that are super encouraging. And thank you to everybody who took that and took the time to do it. It is very helpful. But there have been some things that are quite concerning too, if I'm honest. We're going to talk more about the survey in greater depth soon. But one of the main things that has become obvious to me is that some are really excited and passionate about this microchurch direction and initiative, and some are not. And I think that while we're going to discuss some of this more in greater detail, one of the things that became apparent to me is that we desire to move together as a family, but we also know that Anytime you move in any direction, it's not always going to be the direction that every person wants to go or is perhaps even best for every person. So we recognize that what we're doing as a church family may not be for everyone, and that's okay. We want everybody to be in an environment where they can thrive and flourish spiritually, where they can become more and more like Jesus, where they can represent the King in His kingdom, and that what we're doing is just one small part of his body in his kingdom. But we believe that's where he's leading us. And so in the microchurch initiative that's trying to cut against this cultural churchianity tendency to make church about me, we're not going to hire more staff simply to make Sunday services like this happen or better preachers or speakers or better Bible teachers or music ministry leaders because we want to spend our resources on training and equipping the saints for works of service. Like Paul told the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 4, that if we're gonna support people in the work of the gospel, that it's not just to create selfish consuming products where Christians can consume religious goods and services, but rather that we can have people that can equip and train and empower the saints for the works of service that God gives you in your community, in your life, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. This is the vision of the microchurch initiative. And so you may not get as much Bible teaching in microchurch. That has been a concern, right? As, well, if we're going to microchurch on Sunday, who's going to preach the word? And are we going to have enough Bible teaching? And I want more greater in-depth Bible study. You may not get as much of that 
You may not get your favorite Bible teacher or preacher. You may not get your favorite jeans or suit. Probably don't get it here anyway, so I guess it wouldn't be missing too much. But perhaps our hope is that what you can get is more opportunity to actually practice the Bible that you already know. I'm convinced that for most of us, we don't need more Bible teaching. We need more Bible doing. The Bible has been taught a lot in our context. What I would call American churchianity, I would say it's drunk off Bible teaching. Getting a good word in for the week and all of the phrases that we have to represent this idea. We, you know, we have the Bible translated in more versions in our language than any other language in the world by far. Out of any other civilization or language in history, English has more versions of the Bible than anyone else. And I mean by far, it's not even close. We have access to incredibly talented teachers and preachers anywhere, anytime that we want because we have access to the internet. And we have it in a high speed too. And I think for some of us, we may have been inadvertently trained to think that by getting Christians together in a living room for a Bible study to talk about what it means to be a Christian, that means we are being Christians. We face a very real temptation from a very real environment that encourages learning, but perhaps at the expense of doing. Of course, I'm all for learning, right? Most of the people in the church here know that I've been pursuing higher education, and I think that there is a place for learning, as long as our learning is to the end of helping us become more like Jesus. If our learning's end is learning for its own sake, then we've missed the boat. If it doesn't help us to become more like Christ, more loving, more missional, more sacrificial, generous, and faithful, then it's all for naught. If we get together for a Bible study in our home and it's not helping us become more like Jesus in real life, not just in our hearts, then what are we doing it for? Because of tradition. Because we've been trained that this is what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. And we've been duped. Jesus told some of the most religious people of his day in John chapter 5 that they studied the scriptures diligently, but they missed the entire point the point that the scriptures were pointing to him. And I think for us, some of us might be missing the point even still. We dutifully go to church. We may even have quiet times, read the Bible every day for ourselves, but it doesn't lead to transformation in our hearts and in our lives. In fact, it could end up making us even more selfish, more self-righteous, thinking that church and the religious community around us is supposed to be about us and meeting our needs. And I see strands of this coming through things like the survey. Well, why don't we have this for me? Or why don't we do that for me? Why don't we have these sorts of things that would be more conducive for me? And there might be some truth to that. And there might be valid opportunities. But we've got to be really careful about what's motivating that. Because if what's motivating us to do X, Y, or Z is ultimately just for me, we've missed the whole point of the kingdom of God. We've missed the whole point of the king sacrificing himself for us to make us ambassadors who are willing to sacrifice ourselves for others. Not 
for others to sacrifice themselves for me. That's already happened. God already did that for us. The future of how it's going to be in heaven one day when the kingdom is fully consummated, when the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, when all things are made new, when that happens, the kingdom breaking in now through Jesus is supposed to be a prelude. It's supposed to invite us into that life right now. And the scriptures teach that when we are baptized into Christ, then we are buried with him and we are raised to newness of life. That is where the kingdom of God is supposed to break into us. And he invites us to start living like we're in heaven from then on, living in his kingdom under his kingship. And so the normative pattern of baptism in the New Testament is that when we're baptized into Christ, we die to ourselves. We don't start going to church because it's for us. We already died. That's what it meant for the kingdom to break into our life, that we would live for his will to be done in our life, just like it is in heaven. This is what Jesus says the disciples should pray. Your kingdom come. He's talking about the kingdom breaking in. Come, your kingdom that is in heaven. Come here on earth, just as it is in heaven, and may your will be done, not my will. Will there be prejudice and racism in heaven? Absolutely not. The kingdom breaking in means that we live right here, right now, without prejudice and racism in our hearts or in our lives, actions, and words. Will there be lust in heaven? Jesus invites us to stop lusting now, to live as though we are living in heaven now, does God love his enemies in heaven? Absolutely. That's the definition of the cross, that God died for his enemies, us. So he invites us to practice loving our enemies now. Will we kill in heaven? Then we cannot kill now since God's kingdom has broken into our lives. Will we be generous and kind in heaven because we live under the reign and rule of God's will as it is in heaven right here and right now, we should practice kindness and generosity right here on earth in our daily lives. You get the point? The kingdom breaking in is inviting us to start living like we're already in heaven. Not the churchianity message that has been so pervasive that has trained all of us to think that, well, I'm just a passing through, waiting to get there. One day I'll fly away. I'm just going to protect myself and live in my little white gated fence and gated community with my little Bible study friends in my neighborhood so that I can, until I, no. Jesus says, right now, the kingdom is breaking in to everyone else through you. So if Jesus invites us to be his ambassadors, his representatives, to be priests, to represent this king to the rest of the world. And then all we do is go into the palace of the kingdom, find the safest corner in the kingdom room and palace and say, I'm just going to wait here until you work it all out, God. I think we might hear him say some things that none of us want to hear him say on the last day. Away from me, you evildoer. I never knew you. Of course, this already but not yet tension is felt in our real lives because why? We know that the kingdom is broken in, but we struggle 
with our flesh. We struggle with the brokenness of the world. We struggle to represent the king properly. We struggle to live in heaven right now because our eternal life has already begun when we are buried with Jesus and raised to newness of life, but we still this, we feel this already but not yet tension where we struggle to be generous. We struggle with prejudices. We struggle with pain and decay and dying and suffering. We struggle with these things. We know that all things have not been consummated yet, but it would be a mistake for us to think that living in God's kingdom right here, right now, just meant trying to protect our holy little huddle singing the songs that I like on Sundays, going to the microchurch that has people that look like me in it because it's harder to build relationships with people that are much younger than me or much older than me or don't look like me or speak another language than me. It would be a mistake to think that's what the kingdom of God is breaking in to produce in us. This is why we don't want microchurches to simply meet in homes. We've kind of had to like reboot this whole microchurch initiative because of the pandemic. For those that are newer, we had our hard launch of our microchurches in January of 2020. And then the pandemic hit in March of 2020. And we basically went indoors for like a year and a half. And now we're kind of like peeking our heads out again into society and civilization. And it's been tough, right? A lot of people have died. A lot of people's mental health has really struggled in the isolation of the pandemic. But as we're coming out, we're having to reboot these ideas of how does God want us to live as priests in his kingdom? And we do not want the microchurches primarily meeting in the homes of Christians for Bible study. That is not the point of the microchurch. The microchurch initiative is to decentralize this on Sundays in order to send Christians out as representatives for God's kingdom into their communities. So this is why we have the covenantal agreement for our microchurches. You can find it on our website. We've read it and gone through it several times, but if you're newer, I would encourage you to check it out. This covenantal agreement represents this idea that we're committing to each other and we're committing to each other around some specific things. And we hope that those things are biblical in nature, but we want for everybody to embrace this covenantal agreement and direction for yourself. And we hope that we can move together in this direction as a spiritual family, because we want everyone to live under the reign of the king in his kingdom. However, we would also ask for you to be honest with yourself and to be honest with us as a leadership, not just stick around if this isn't really what you're looking for, really what you're wanting, perhaps it's not really what is best for you. Because if you do that, if you stick around, but you're not really engaged, you're not really believing that it's best for you, you're not really in covenantal agreement with everyone else in this direction, it could hold you back from being able to spiritually thrive and flourish in a different environment that might be more conducive for you. And it could also hold others back from being able to flourish here in this environment. We understand that what we're doing is not for everybody, but we believe that we're called by God in this direction as one part of his kingdom. 
And we want to encourage everyone to really wrestle with this for yourself. Because in case you haven't noticed, this is a massive shift. This is like redoing everything that we have known and understand about church. That doesn't mean that any particular way is right or wrong or even better or best, but just that this is the way we believe God is leading us. And we believe that God is leading everyone else in other parts and pockets and congregations and groups of his kingdom as well. So if we're gonna move this direction, let's move together. And if it's not for you, that's okay. We want you to be able to thrive and flourish in God's kingdom, perhaps in a different environment that would fit better for you. We're excited. And I think we feel convinced and convicted and, and um, yeah, encouraged in the direction that we're going. It has been and will be difficult, for sure, as we kind of relearn and unlearn some things. But we want everyone to have everything that they need to be able to flourish in God's kingdom, whether that's here or somewhere else. And we understand that this particular group, this particular expression, these particular leaders, me as an individual may not be able to provide everything that you need, and that's okay but I want you to have what you need to be able to flourish as a representative and ambassador for Christ. We are wanting to be faithful to the part of the body that God is calling us to. And so if you haven't, please take a look at that covenantal agreement. Right now we're meeting in microchurches one Sunday a month. We're calling them microchurch gatherings. We're learning what it's like to do house church. For some, maybe they have a lot of experience with house church. For others, maybe not so much. We don't exactly know exactly how the timing and the flow of all this is going to work, but we're going to continue to do this one Sunday a month for the foreseeable future as we all kind of transition and get used to what is it like to not come to church, but be the church. Not just go to someone's house for church, but to be the church out in the community. Because I think sometimes we have mistakenly made the kingdom of God and the church, meaning this, what happens on Sunday, synonymous. And that is minimizing the kingdom of God to something that is terrible. <laughs> because if you and I are the only thing that is the kingdom of God, we need, we in trouble. <laughs> we need some help, right? We are a part of the kingdom of God and we are to surrender to that king in our life. And guess what's going to happen? When we all surrender, he's going to lead us. He's gonna transform us. He's gonna empower us. And he will impact people around us through him in us. And I'm super excited about that. Let's pray. <laughs>